Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. You've probably heard the popular saying, food for thought, but did you know there's actually science behind it? What you eat can profoundly affect your memory, emotions, and focus. Food can help combat anxiety, depression, dementia, and even Alzheimer's disease. Joining us next is returning guest, Dr. Umar Naidu, author of the best-selling book, Calm Your Mind with Food. Today, she'll be sharing tips on diet, supplements, and lifestyle modifications that will improve your mood, sharpen your focus, and make your memory really thrive. Take it to a new level. We all want that, so don't go anywhere. It's mind over matter, and Dr. Naidu is here to unravel what truly matters most and it all starts now it's to your good health radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert dr david friedman changing lives just for the health of it our next guest is a harvard medical school board certified psychiatrist professional chef and nutritional specialist. Uh, she's been recognized as the first nutritional psychiatrist in the U.S. and has conducted extensive research on how food contributes to our mental health. She's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, ABC News, Live with Kelly and Mark, Goop, and many others. She founded and directs the first hospital-based nutritional psychiatry service in the United States. She's also the director of nutritional and lifestyle psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital and serves on the faculty at Harvard Medical School. Her new book is called Calm Your Mind with Food, A Revolutionary Guide to Controlling Your Anxiety. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Uma Naidu. Thank you so much, Dr. Friedman. It's great to talk to you again. Oh, it's great. So good to have you back with us. You know, I've been interviewing health experts and authors since 1995. I'm showing my age here. And while I embrace so many differences of opinions, you and I are pretty much on the same page when it comes to diet and nutrition. So if it's true that like energy attracts like energy, our congruency is going to create some sparks today. So be warned, folks. So first share with us, what motivated you to write your latest book, which is a sequel to your phenomenal one last time? It's called, Now it's called Calm Your Mind with Food. Share with us the whole process behind your thinking there. You know, the main reason was that during COVID, early times of COVID in spring of 2020, a medication called Zoloft, or the other name is Sertraline, went on shortage in the entire United States. And that was because of the increase of new prescriptions for this medication. And the reason was increased anxiety. And then research showed us that during COVID anxiety, which was always the number one mental health condition worldwide, increased by 25%. And it was born out in what I saw in my practice. And I felt that people needed solutions if they were, say, trying to see a therapist or get a telehealth appointment and waiting or just really not feeling good. Food is right in front of us. It's what we eat. It's at the end of our fork. We have several meals a day. It's something that actually can be remediated to feel better. And I wanted to share the solutions with individuals worldwide. Great. What items should people reach for at the grocery store that may offer some anti-anxiety properties, the good food, and then we'll address some of the bad, but what, what are the good ones? What are the ones that you have in your shopping cart? I break it down, the, the hundreds of foods in the book and an anti-anxiety shopping list and recipes and a protocol, but I broke down a few so that you can remember them through the mnemonic COM, C-A-L-N-S. Scenes for vitamin C, extra dark chocolate, and choline. Choline you get from things like pastured eggs or even lentils or legumes. 
The A is for the one supplement that has a lot of good evidence behind it for anxiety is ashwagandha. It's very bitter tasting, so supplement is a good idea here. Speak to your doctor about that. And the other A is antioxidants. We know that we want to be eating those plant-powered meals rich in different colors, the flavonoids and the phytonutrients and the fiber. So adding those in is a great idea. L is for liquid, something people overlook if you're not sipping on water throughout the day and not keeping hydrated, which you can also do through drinking calming teas, you are going to feel anxious because low hydration or dehydration can actually precipitate anxiety. M is for magnesium. Speak to your doctor about this. Many Americans may be deficient in magnesium. It's easy to correct, it's easy to supplement, and it's easy to eat foods with magnesium. And the S is for spices and herbs. So always load up on those in your kitchen as well as your grocery cart because these have very powerful, profound effects on your mental well-being through antioxidant and anti-inflammatory mechanisms. So those are just a few ways to get started. Great. I love calm. That's easy to remember because I'm into mnemonics and acronyms. When I, I used to teach neurology and it was the only way people could remember such the pathways. We're right on the same line. I love that. It's like, it was my only way I passed school, to be honest. If I didn't have mnemonics, I would not have made it. And what items like at the grocery store now fuel anxiety? Basically, which ones should not be in the shopping cart? When I mention these foods, many people will think, oh, you know, I worry about that because of my waistline or the number on the scale, but actually they impact the brain. The first one is the ultra-processed, processed kind of junk foods and fast foods. The things that have really large ingredient labels, you don't recognize the names of these labels, and they really are far removed from the actual food. That's a whole food. Another one is the added and refined sugars, which you know you often find these in savory foods and you don't realize that ketchup, pasta sauce bought in the store, even salad dressings actually can have a lot of added sugars that you don't even recognize. So that's a big one. Another one is artificial sweeteners. A lot of people are reaching out for diet sodas or diet energy drinks or low sugar labels. And unfortunately, the artificial sweeteners are not great for our gut microbiome and not great for our brain health. So it's something to watch out for. And then it's the wrong types of fat. So the trans fats, hydrogenated fats that are used in store-bought bakery goods that are shelf-stable. So to make them last, they have these ingredients. And these are not great for us because they cause inflammation in the body. And inflammation is really seen more often as an underlying cause of conditions like depression and anxiety. So just something to watch out for. Yeah, all good stuff to take note on. It's something I've noticed, I want to discuss this with you, is I've noticed over the years my female patients develop more anxiety as they reach their 40s and 50s. And I've known them when they were in their 20s, so I, it's not like I just met them. I know them and I see it. Share with us why being anxious and stressed is so common during menopause and beyond. And is there anything that we could do about it? I've noticed this in my practice as well, and many people talk about it. The woman's body undergoes several hormonal changes in this phase of life changes. And these can actually, given that hormone production, vitamin production, sleep, circadian rhythm, immunity, mental health, all of these different many functions can actually be mediated through the gut microbiome. The fact that hormones are there too does make us realize that when you're going through perimenopause and menopause, as your hormonal levels fluctuate, you are going to have changes in the gut microbiome. And for that reason, you want to pay attention when you are entering these phases of life because at that point, you know, really improving your diet a little bit, making some steady changes, paying attention to maybe some unhealthy habits that you're following, these could 
help you to offset these effects or the impact on your body. I think that food and nutrition can be a very powerful tool at this phase, eating anti-inflammatory foods, not antioxidant-rich spices. These can be extremely helpful to get us through these difficult times. You brought one word up that I always hear when I'm having these females tell me how anxious and stressed they are and life's this and they're biting the nail. Lack of sleep, lack of sleep. As they age, they're coming to me saying, look, I'm not sleeping. And could you shed a light on the significance of restorative sleep and maybe offer an insight or two on how we get more sleep as we age? I'm included in that. I'm having a harder time now as well. Yes, sleep is disrupted so much during the pandemic that insomnia became called coronasomnia. So it's something that everyone is impacted by and is not necessarily sleeping that well. And sleep can affect our appetite, our hunger hormones, so many things, but also just impact those symptoms that someone might be feeling. How to get enough sleep? I think it really starts with how we handle our day or days before we go to bed. Some of that is what time we eat, whether we are watching television or shopping for our groceries late at night in bright lights that actually are stimulating us to stay awake whether we are working on our laptops and have our phone notifications on at our bedside versus shutting the phone off, leaving the laptop in another room, winding down as you are getting ready for bed. So less television, watch early in the day. If you have a favorite program, turn off the computer early so that your body is actually getting the message that you are going to rest. What you eat becomes important. If you're relying on a glass of red wine, to put you to sleep, that's going to disrupt your sleep architecture and may not be the best idea for you. If you are eating late at night, that can disrupt not only your hunger hormones, but disrupt your sleep. So all of these different factors play into it. If you're eating a less healthy diet and you're eating foods that are very inflammatory, this may be causing gut dysbiosis. And the gut, as we mentioned, is also involved in a sleep and circadian rhythm, which is our internal body clock, as well as hormone production, environment production. We then are starting to disrupt these and it may lead to heightened symptoms or worse sleep. There's some research information that shares that tart cherry juice can help sleep. I also talk about melatonin-rich foods that can be helpful. A lot of this I shared in a chapter on sleep in my first book, This Is Your Brain on Food. So I agree it's definitely something that we need to be both paying attention to and helping to correct. Yeah, you brought up something that people gravitate to toward the end. Red wine. What are your thoughts on the influence of wine consumption and anxiety? I know it helps put you to sleep, but as you mentioned, you'll wake up. It puts you to sleep, but then you're like one, two, and three in the morning, you're awake, like I can't go to sleep. But it does help ease daily stress. And others argue it's a toxin, stay away. It's worsening anxiety and depression. How do you see the interplay between consumption of wine and anxiety? It really depends on the person. I come from the perspective of more of a personalized approach. Alcohol can have some negative effects, and it does, but it also can be consumed in moderation. I say that because more people than not consume alcohol, and those that consume alcohol just need to do so in moderation with some guidances around that. And of course, if they're getting into trouble with it, getting some help is critical. So when it comes to anxiety, if you are relying on that glass of red wine, yes, it's going to disrupt your sleep architecture versus if you enjoy that with the delicious dinner that you're having early in the evening and it's not impacting your sleep, that could be very different. A clean cocktail or an organic wine, they're even now 
wines that are made with less sugar in them. There are lots of options for people, and there are also botanicals without any alcohol at all. So you can still be part of an occasion event, a party, or even a dinner with family and friends and be drinking something that looks like a cocktail but is completely alcohol-free. So there are lots of options for people. I just think with anxiety, if it sets off your anxiety, it may not be for you, and you may slowly want to cut back and give that up. Yeah, good point. I know a consensus among health experts that I've interviewed and pretty much all the ones that have given you blurbs for your book, they're all on the same page. We're all there. Inflammation is a major root cause of disease. We we all agree with that. And in your book, you discuss how inflammation can contribute to conditions like anxiety, depression, and even Alzheimer's disease. Could you shed some light on effective strategies for individuals to reduce this internal inflammation and really promote overall well-being? Because when you hear inflammations like that's when you hit your elbow, they don't understand yeah, that's inflamed, but you have it inside of you, and that's disease-causing. So the first thing to understand is that when you get your elbow or you fall and scrape your knee, inflammation is a necessary healer for the body and is important to occur. So it's a natural process, acute inflammation. But we are referring to chronic insidious inflammation, the type of inflammation that gets set up in your gut microbiome, dysbiosis, where you are maybe one of the factors is you're consuming a poor diet, one that is the standard American diet, which is called SAD for a reason, and also called the Western diet, so high in ultra-processed processed foods, junk foods, fast foods, extra sugary foods, that type of stuff. So when you're consuming those types of foods, you are setting your gut microbiome up for inflammation, which leads to dysbiosis or an imbalance. And what's happening is the foods that are less healthy are feeding the negative bad microbes there. They break down products more toxic to the gut, toxic polysaccharides, which then damage the cell lining of the gut and lead to things like leaky gut. So it becomes a vicious cycle that impacts us. But inflammation is something we really want to work on from as many different angles as we can. So a lot of that could be diet, but stress as well. Doesn't stress create internal inflammation if you're always stressed out about things? If you're always stressed, and I talk about this in my book, Calm Your Mind with Food, that stress it impacts the microbes in our gut. They respond to stress and changes. Say you have an argument with your boss or fight with your wife, your microbes do respond to that. They respond to those emotions. You may not notice it immediately, but they are actually reacting. Within about two hours, they start to respond. You may not notice it immediately, but they are reacting and responding to the changes in our emotions. So management of stress is hugely important in how we heal inflammation, how we handle our gut microbiome, and how we really calm our mind uh, using food as well. Yeah, I know you bring the gut up a lot, and I know Hippocrates, the father of medicine, once proclaimed all disease begins in the gut, and now we have contemporary research underscoring the pivotal role of the microbiome in influencing our mental well-being, but people don't get it. Can you elaborate how the connection between the brain that's way up high, and then we get our digestive system down below, people don't realize there's such connection there. What is keeping these uh, two areas communicating? So the gut and brain originate from the exact same cells in the human embryo. They then divide apart to form these organs, the gut and the brain, which are separate organs and they far apart the body, but they remain connected throughout life by the vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve. And the vagus nerve actually allows for bidirectional messaging between these organ systems. And the types of messages they are actually sending are things like chemical messages or neurotransmitters that are talking to these two organs. And so it becomes important to understand that 
the gut-brain connection actually starts to unpack or help us understand the food-mood connection or the food-anxiety connection because it's, it's sort of an ecosystem that exists. Yeah, I know in my childhood, my mom always advised me, trust your gut, David, trust your gut when you face decisions. And mother knows best because now we got research showing that instincts, intuition originates in the gut. And for indecisive listeners out there, are there any specific like supplements or foods other than the ashwagandha and magnesium that maybe can help decision making or maybe even for our college student listeners that, you know, rely on taking tests? Is there a little way they can cheat and drag the system by something they can take that's natural? I wish I had one to pull out of a hat, but I don't. It's really about the small healthy habits that we can start to evolve and change moving towards eating whole foods versus, you know, a lot of the processed foods that we've gotten used to out of convenience and things like that. So I think having faith that we can do it this way and we can even change one unhealthy habit at a time really just gives us hope in moving ourselves forward. So I recall another childhood memory when uh, somebody would upset me. I used to shout, I hate your guts. And looking back, I find it amusing because I might have unwittingly pinpointed the part of the body that plays a role in the personality. So it, right. I was spot on, right? <laughs> exactly. Isn't it interesting? We have butterflies in the stomach. We have that anxious feeling in our gut. So it's been involved in many of our expressions for eons. If you hear bad news, if you get a phone call, you know, your spouse was rushed to the hospital or some kind of, where do you feel it first? The gut. Right there, not in the brain. It's like, oh, your gut. So it's so interesting how science is showing all these decades where we kind of knew. Hey, let's delve into a subject that captures the attention of many people this time of year, weight loss. Now your book explores the connection between anxiety and leptin, our appetite hormone. Could you elaborate on how anxiety influences cravings and our weight? Depending on what we're eating, this could positively or negatively impact our hunger hormones, uh, our satiety hormones, ghrelin and leptin, or it could actually impact inflammation and sort of setting up us for an uptick of anxiety, symptoms, etc. So it really comes back to our diet as one of the factors that we can remediate, we can edit, we can change. The times when we are moving towards an unhealthy standard American diet, it might be that we lose our satiety signal. So leptin tells us you know, that we're full after eating a plate of food. If we develop leptin resistance, we want two plates of food, we want more, then we want snacks and we want dessert. So it's so important to eat in a way at least 80% of the time that's more related to whole foods, healthy foods that can help us. And this ultimately makes a difference to symptoms as well. Yeah, and it brings us back to lack of sleep because I notice if I don't get a good night's sleep, I'm starving. And it's weird. Even if I ate a big dinner, it's like, why am I hungry? <laughs> yes, this is so true. Sleep disrupts hunger hormones. We said that earlier and you're absolutely right. So something to be careful about. Yeah, I always use the analogy that if you leave your car on at night, don't shut it off in the garage, you leave it on for 10 hours and you come back, you're going to notice that you lost some fuel because it didn't shut down. It didn't sleep. So when we don't sleep, we crave more fuel. So that's kind of the analogy that and people get it. Let's shift our focus to a passion of most of our listeners Coffee, it's a stimulant that activates cortisol, the body's stress hormone, but coffee is also recognized for its neuroprotective qualities and potential to improve cognitive decline. What's your perspective on coffee concerning anxiety and stress, yay or nay? 
Coffee is based on the individual's response. Some of my patients with anxiety can have up to two cups of coffee, sometimes three in the morning and before 2 p.m., so it doesn't disrupt their sleep and be perfectly okay. Others, even if the cup of decaf, become jittery and feel uncomfortable. So since the microbiome is like a thumbprint, it's something we need to pay attention to in terms of a person's individual response. Coffee on its own is rich in plant polyphenols and actually a healthy substance for organs like the liver, for the brain, and more. So coffee is something I support. I think where we go wrong, to be honest, Dr. Freeman, is what we put in our coffee. So when we're loading it up with processed, ultra-processed creamer and eight sugars, that's very different than just a cup of coffee with a, a healthier form with just none of those processed creamers, but something that's more natural, like a nut milk or something like that. That's a good point because coffee is good, but stuff they're throwing in there may uh, even counteract it as well. That's a good point. One thing I was happy to have you on the show because we didn't discuss this last time is the connection between CBD, cannabis, and brain health. And there's so many of my patients, I have to tell you this, they say it, it relieves their anxiety. I've had some tell me that they discontinued their antidepressant medications because of it. What's your take on this controversial topic? The fact that cannabis has been legalized still doesn't mean that it's for everyone or that it has the same effects on everyone. I, I think that having spent a lot of my early career in, in a major hospital emergency room in Boston, I am always a little bit cautious because depending on where the cannabis is obtained, it could be cut with an illegal drug or substance and create some devastating side effects on the brain and mind of individuals. So I would say proceed with caution, always in moderation. If you do consume it, remember that it can be potentially become a problem. So be mindful of what you're doing and paying attention. Yeah, I know. Friend of yours and mine, Dr. Amen, not a fan. He says, nope, you know, get off of that. And then I have experts that say, you know, in moderation as well. I don't know. I just think if it's altering your mind and you're not who you are, it can't be good for you. And yet, you know, I think the general legalization and acceptance of it speaks the opposite. And yet, you know, if you've seen someone suffer the side effects in an emergency room and lose their sense of reality testing because they don't know what they've consumed sometimes, along with the cannabis, it, it's very scary. And you will probably be a lot more cautious. I had a patient who did the gummies and didn't realize, oh, I don't feel anything of another. Oh, I still don't feel anything of another. Yeah, wrong, because it takes a while. End up in the ER, a heartbeat, 210 beats per minute, blood pressure off the Richter. I mean, literally, he said he almost died from this innocent looking gummies that are sweet and chewy. I mean, who would have thought, right? <laughs> That's right. Who would have thought that they have those devastating side effects? Hey, talk to us about snacking. I know numerous patients, they, they tell me, hey, I can follow a healthy diet during the day. No problem. I go home. I sit in front of the TV after a stressful day at work, and I'm craving comfort foods. What brain-healthy, noshing snacks do you recommend in these situations so they don't reach for those potato chips? There are lots of easy hacks to snacking. Part of it means just coming up with something that you will enjoy and eat using an air fryer to create crispy potato or sweet potato or zucchini fries is a good one. Having healthy versions of ice cream at home. In my first book, This Is Your Brain on Food, I have a healthy recipe for ice cream made from bananas. You can add cacao flavonols, which are great for your brain to make it a chocolate flavor. So I think we have to be one step ahead of our cravings and 
have other things available so that if we feel for something, there's a healthier option available that you can at least reach for or try. A lot of foods that are considered treat foods, unfortunately, mistreat the brain. And we just want to be careful about realizing that that's the case. I was a big, big addict of popcorn. Loved it, loved it, loved it. End of the day, we learned it's healthy fiber, it's good for you. But I had 15 pounds I couldn't lose, and I learned about corn, inflammation. I said, you know what? Maybe it's this healthy, great for you popcorn. I don't know. So I stopped it. I lost 15 pounds in six weeks, and I said, wow. So I didn't get rid of it, but I'm like in moderation because I still love it. But here's what I found. It was the sitting and reaching and putting things in my mouth. Sitting and reaching, it was that, and I needed that to last longer. So I cut pieces of cucumber and celery and small little pieces, add spices and extra virgin. That got me through it. It's crunchy and I'm reaching and it, you know, if you're watching a movie or something, what's your views on that? Maybe it's just, it goes by so fast that people, they me that are A-types need to continue. We, we need something that lasts. I think that's a great idea. I think finding those types of ideas and, and snacks that work for you that are healthy options are really the way to go. Cucumbers are actually very hydrating as well and very low calorie, they contain fiber, and just munching on them firstly keeps your mouth busy, and that tricks you into thinking, well, my mouth is busy, and you know I may be enjoying this snack. So it's about, like I said, we have to be one step ahead of those cravings. Yeah. And, you know, when we talk about stress and anxiety, it's so interesting because uh, it's so relative. A person's 10 where they're so stressed out. I look, I go, God, that would be a two in my life. That's something I wouldn't even roll my eyes about. But to them, it's like, <gasps> you know, how do we regulate how we perceive stress? Because a lot of people, they're so stressed. I'm like, you're stressed. Yeah, I can't go to my little kids, little league practice game. I'm like, that wouldn't even register a one. How do we put it in perspective? Because you talk about anxiety, you talk about stress, but what level is it really considered something to worry about? It depends on whether a person is able to get up and function and get through their day versus whether they are coping okay. There are different levels. So, for example, someone who comes in to my clinic and is otherwise coping okay but not feeling good, they know something is wrong, they're not feeling great, they may be not sleeping well, or they may be finding they get up and they have some anxiety when they get up, they push through and they get through their day. Some of those individuals who are functioning but not feeling good can use nutritional strategies first and foremost and actually have great results. But a lot of people are on a medication or in psychotherapy and they need help. So they may need a medication to start them off, but certainly nutrition can always be a very key point of the plan that they're undergoing. So if you're eating right, you're healthy, maybe the stressful, what used to be a 10 is a four then, right? Maybe they overreact because it's their lifestyle or maybe they're just unhealthy. That's a good point. It may not be them. It's just like what they're doing. I always say that, you know, if your alarm on your car is set up real sensitive, you just lightly touch it, it'll go off. But normally you should be able to bump up against your car, right? So these people are hypersensitive and that could be food. Food could be making them hypersense. Awesome. Now, in your book, you talk about stress and anxiety relieving. You have some recipes. Do you have like a favorite? What's your go-to? One of my favorite recipes in the book is the spicy cucumber recipe. So we talked about cucumbers earlier in this conversation. 
And one of the things I really leaned into in this book was incorporating Mediterranean foods, but really making it Mediterranean. So incorporating vegetables and spices from other regions beyond just the Mediterranean to make it more inclusive, but also more interesting and tasty. So this particular, it's a spicy cucumber recipe, but that has its origins in Korean food. And it's refreshing. It's a great snack. It's something I can pack and take to work. And it's not calorie dense, but it's giving me fiber and phytonutrients from those cucumbers and spices. So it's one of my easy favorites that I always have in my fridge. It's definitely one of my favorite recipes from the book. That's great. I know we talked about how the consensus is people, um, experts agree inflammation is a root cause of most disease, but they also tend to agree sugar is the inflammatory. So what do you recommend for like recipes? Do you like monk fruit, xylitol, stevia? Is there, is there ones that we should avoid? Which ones do you like? So for recipes, if I'm baking something that needs something sweet, I'll go with a fruit-based option. So I will make my own applesauce at home. I will use macerated dates to sweeten something. I'll use a touch, and I mean a touch of honey. But, you know, all these forms of sugar do break down to sugar. So I think we have to make healthy choices where we can. Pouring a lot of an artificial sweetener or a lot of sugar into a recipe is just not the healthiest way to go. So finding things like extra dark natural chocolate with a piece of clementine, a bowl of berries, different things that we still enjoy as something that almost takes care of that sweet craving we have really becomes a key because often those foods are just so pro-inflammatory that they're not good for us at all. So true. And like you said about coffee, coffee is good for you, but sometimes it's what you throw into it makes it unhealthy. I've seen some of these great sugar alternatives like monk fruit and stevia, and that's like the fourth ingredient. And it depends, you know, someone who has one cup of tea or coffee and puts in a stevia versus six cups in that day, that's a lot more stevia. And I think that that's where we want to be careful about guiding people on this. Especially erythritol. There's things in there that, you know, that I've seen that go, wow, it's like a little bit of stevia, but they call it stevia. Uh, just like last time, time flew by so fast. Love having you here. In the couple minutes that we have, maybe give me 60 seconds or so. Is there anything left that you'd like to share that we didn't cover today? Just I think that people should feel and realize that you have the power at the end of your fork to help calm your mind. So if you're struggling with some form of anxiety, you're not feeling great, please do consider picking up the book, looking at it, looking at the different foods, the anti-anxiety shopping list, the anti-anxiety plate, the protocol, which all can help you literally from your own home and is intended as a way to start to feel better after we've come through this difficult time. Well said, well said. Thanks again for joining us. I encourage everybody to get your copy of Dr. Nadu's wonderful book. It's called Calm Your Mind with Food, A Revolutionary Guide to Controlling Your Anxiety. If you're a little stressed, a little tense, a little nervous, this is the key. Get this book. Let's calm that anxiety. Life's too short to stay stressed. Enjoy it. Embrace it. And, you know, let's put a big smile on these anxious people's faces. It also contains some brain-healthy, easy-to-make recipes, as we discussed. So you can get in that kitchen and make something really good for the mind. Calm the mind, calm the soul. You can get your copy by going to umanadoomd.com. Let me spell that for you. It's U-M-A-N-I-D-O-O-M-D. 
www.lifeforgood.com. And while there, be sure and check out all the videos and articles she has available to help lift your spirits, reduce your anxiety, and improve your brain health. You can follow her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dr. Uma Naidu. I follow her and love her insights, her videos, her posts. Hope you follow her as well. If you don't already follow me on social media, you can do that on Twitter and Facebook. I'm at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard something today that would benefit somebody you know, maybe somebody's dealing with a little stress or anxiety, send them a link to this podcast. We all need healthy brain health. And you can do that at toyourgoodhealthradio.com and radiomd.com. And check out our podcast library. Share these segments with friends, family, and coworkers. And on social media, I always say sharing is caring. Don't keep this stuff to yourself, folks. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and Apple. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well and don't be anxious.